We are going to wrap up our series uh, today on fault lines. We're looking at the last one um, that probably is a fault line we can't avoid. <laughs> and uh, if you looked in your bulletin, you probably kind of get an idea what we're going to be looking at. But uh, uh, appointments are a part of life. Appointments are a part of life. You have doctor appointments. You got dental appointments, and not many like those. Uh, you got lunch appointments, and mostly it's going to be takeout in the next few days. Um, and business appointments, a uh, favorite of Kim Frentress's and Neil LaRocco's, I'm sure, uh, those business meetings. And, and many more appointments. They, they fill our, com our computer calendars, our, our date books. They, they fill our smartphones and other electronic devices that we have that help us get where we need to be when we need to be there. We like to know the time, the place, and nature of each appointment, so we flag it carefully. We note it, make sure that uh, we follow. But there's no way to know when we will keep life's final appointment. <laughs> and that, of course, is our appointment with death. It could take place at any moment or even years from now. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, says, simply, it, it, simply but emphatically, People are destined to die once. So there's an appointment that's coming down the line for each and every one of us. And it's an appointment we can't avoid. <laughs> we, we will be making it. There's a story about a, a landowner who sent his servant into Baghdad to do some business. And a few hours later, the servant returned in a panic. What happened, asked the landowner. I was halfway through our, uh, your business, said the servant, when I came face to face with death. He threatened me with a look like I have never seen. So please, sir, give me a loan. Give me a, your fastest car, your horse, not car, horse. <laughs> I must ride like fury into Samara, where death cannot find me, and there I will be safe. So the landowner granted the servant his wish, and then he mounted his own horse and rode into town himself to confront death. When he found him, he asked, why did you frighten my servant? Why did you give him a, a, a threatening look? And, and uh, Death said, I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't give your servant a threatening look. I, I was only surprised to see him here in Baghdad, for I have an appointment with him tomorrow in Samara. <laughs> Stephen F. in his book says, of, the, of all the fault lines... The one we avoid the most is death. But oddly enough, it is the one fault line we all will be on one time or another. The best illustration of this fault line can be found uh, towards the end of Jesus' crucifixion. There are two criminals who were crucified alongside Jesus. And one threw insults at Jesus, the other acknowledged his sin and believed in Jesus. It's in Luke chapter 23. You can turn there if you want. Uh, we're not going to stay there all day, but uh, we're going to be jumping around different portions of Scripture. But in Luke chapter 23, starting with verse 39, it says, One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus answered him, 
I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, both were criminals. Both heard the prayer, Father, forgive them. And, and both would die within the hour. It, it was coming soon. And then from there, that fault line of death moved them in, in opposite directions because they followed different approaches to death. One was desperate. The other was at peace. One was becoming less religious. He, he was blaspheming. And the other was becoming more religious. He feared God. One had aligned himself with the world that was uh, deriding Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? And the other was aligning himself with Jesus. This man has done nothing wrong. One was trying to avoid death. Save yourself and save us too. The other, the other had, in, in a sense, already died and saying, remember me in your kingdom. One was hoping to be saved from death. The other was hoping to be saved through death. One was holding on. The other was letting go. One asked to be saved and, and, and was afterward forgotten. And the other asked only to be remembered and was saved. Total different directions on that fault line of death. Stephen F. says in his book, this fault line runs through every human soul. Those who try to avoid death are ruined. Those who embrace it are saved. Hard as it is, we must learn to reconcile with our death. But like the servant who ran to Samara, we try to avoid death even while we move forward. Woody Allen, <laughs> he, uh, he spoke about death. He said, it's not that I'm afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> and I think that's probably a sentiment maybe of most of us. We just don't want to be there when it happens. But there's a lot of avoidance of death out there. Uh, some minimize it in a, in a superficial term, uh, as though it were overrated. You know, going, to the, going to the big roundup in the sky. Uh, playing a, a pickup game of basketball with his dad on the heavenly courts. It, it's just... It's a way of limiting or uh, uh, minimizing the blow that death has in our lives. Some deny death altogether. They're looking to, uh, to science about living forever. And there's a lot of articles about that. And probably you can find a whole bunch of stuff online about that too. Just uh, go ahead and Google that and get some weird places. But uh, some deny death altogether. And, you know, the fountain of youth hasn't been found yet. And uh, I don't know if they ever will. But... How will we meet life's final appointment? Will we meet it with a consternation or as a celebration? Now I want to look at that real uh, briefly here. Is it going to be a constant? We're going to face it with consternation or we're going to face it with celebration? If we look at it a consternation, then we're heading down a path that we probably don't want to travel too far, <laughs> if at all. Many unbelievers may show little or no concern about dying. They may take the, the fatalistic attitude that says, when your number is up, it's up. Oh, well. And we may agree to a certain point, but we, we would add that the important thing is to know the one who puts the numbers up. <laughs> that is the important thing. Otherwise, there's some bad news. There's eternal suffering if we face the death with consternation. Uh, there's eternal, eternal suffering. God's wrath rests upon all who have not believed in Jesus as their Savior. 
Scripture is very clear about that. And upon death, they will enter hell where they will suffer torment in its flames. Luke chapter 16 speaks about that between the uh, rich man and the beggar, Lazarus. And, the, and uh, that account uh, even helps us get a little viewpoint of what's going on there in, in hell and what it will be like. But their suffering will never end. Scripture tells us in Matthew 25 when Jesus was speaking about the sheep and the goats. And at the end of that, he says, then they will go away to eternal punishment, the goats, but the righteous to eternal life, the sheep. So there is eternal punishment going on. In, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, says, he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. And of course, in Revelation chapter 20, verses 14 and 15, it says, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And that fire is eternally burning and doesn't stop. So not only will there be eternal suffering, but there will also be eternal separation from God. The rich man, the beggar and the rich man in, in Luke chapter 19, or 16, the rich man who was suffering in hell experienced separation from God. And 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 through 9 states that those who do not know God will be shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. So no doubt that eternal separation from God is hell's most dreadful horror. Experience without God. You thought 2020 was bad. <laughs> Think about facing 2020 without God's presence. Wow. That puts a whole new perspective on what 2020 has brought us. Will we meet life's final appointment with consternation or will we meet life's final appointment with celebration? And if we do, then we realize that there, we, there will be freedom from the presence of sin. Heaven is completely opposite from hell. It is blissful, it's beautiful, it's blessed, it, it's bountiful with uh, all its pleasures. How's that for alliteration, all the bees? But one of the greatest blessings associated with heaven is the absence of sin. And man, I'm looking forward to that. Because the temptation that brings you into that, we have to be on guard on that all the time, and also experiencing the effects of sin around us. Man, that, that gets tiring. Nothing that, that might tarnish heaven's purity will enter heaven. In Revelation 21, verse 27 says, Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So there, believers will finally be free not only from sin's power, but also from its presence. Sin will not be there. Can you imagine that? Just, just think about that. Because you, you think about the situations around us in this world. And you think about what's on the news and everything else that's being reported, things you've been experiencing and you think, if sin didn't happen, that wouldn't have happened. If sin wasn't here, that wouldn't have happened. And you can go through a whole list of stuff in current events, and even in your personal life possibly, and saying, if sin wasn't here, <laughs> life would be much better. And I would say, yes, life would be 
heaven. <laughs> we would be there. We'd be in heaven. But our sanctification will be complete there in heaven. Our holiness will be evident forever as well. So we will be free from the presence of sin and forever in the presence of our Savior. Now that, that, what a day that will be, right? Now, of course, heaven is a wonderful place filled with his glory and grace. I want to see my Savior's face. Heaven is a wonderful place. You know that song, right? I'm not, not going to have you sing it, but uh, it's a fun one. But think of the most beautiful and peaceful place on earth. To try to picture that. Maybe you've seen it in, in a magazine online or, or in a movie, or, or maybe you've been there. <laughs> Just picture that right now, that peaceful place on earth, and realize Heaven exceeds that beyond measure, <laughs> far beyond measure. But heaven's greatest attraction isn't just heaven and the things there. The greatest attraction is our Savior. Jesus will be able to see him face to face, finally. He is the central focus of adoration and worship in heaven. And as his redeemed ones, we will see him and thank him in person for shedding his blood for our sins. We will be praising him forever. And what a day that will be. It will continue on forever. And look forward to that. <laughs> An old preacher described the Christian life as good while we're living, better when we're dying, and best when we're gone. Because <laughs> we'll be in heaven. No one likes to welcome death, but when it arrives, we Christians can celebrate it as our graduation to a far better life. And that is the good news. So, what are our steps in this? How do we get to that point? When we are faced with the fault line of death, what do we do about that? What can we do about this inevitable fault line of dying? Stephen Ness says in his book, what happens to the soul on the fault line of dying is that it's trying to detach itself from life on the road and reorient itself toward home. The season of dying is like sitting in the airport waiting, awaiting our flight and it is a necessary buffer between life on the road and home. But there's important work to do while we are waiting. <laughs> I can, I can uh, see that, that word picture there and, and helping us see uh, how being in the airport and waiting for your destiny to be home, finally getting there. But there are some significant changes that need to happen while we wait. And Stephen F., mentions those in his book that I want to share with you that I think will help us in trying to deal with that fault line of dying. We're all going to have to face it one day or another. But he mentions three things that need to be uh, happening in our life, these changes that need to happen. And he calls them disentanglement, disempowerment, and devotion. Let me share those a little bit more with you. But disentanglement is basically disentanglement from holding on to letting go. To let go is to relinquish our, our attachment to things. It is to declutter. It is to downsize. It's basically to live simply on less. He says in his book, Steve Deneff says, when we hold on to possessions longer than we should, we force the next generation to pry them from us, often with no instructions for how to use them. <laughs> And I can attest to that when I had to go out and take care of my father's estate. Oh, my goodness. There are a lot of things there I had no idea what might be of value. 
and I had to get a lot of instruction on what needed to be held on to or, or taken care of. But the same thing, too, is not just possessions, but it also, too, can be maybe our status, our power, our, 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 our success. If we can let go of that and allow others to share and take the baton on, they won't have to pry it from us so that they can continue on with life and going on that way. Heaven, the kingdom of God, is where we are going. We don't need to hold on to things. <laughs> Listen to how Stephen S. describes this place of the kingdom of God. He says, It's a world dominated by those who are poor in spirit. The meek are like rock stars. The peacemakers are people of valor. And those persecuted wear their scars like badges of honor. In the land where we're going, a holy person is known by the way she associates with the unholy and not by the way she avoids them. He is measured by what he gives away, not by what he possesses. It's a place where sovereignty washes a servant's feet, where the untouchable, the untouchable God lets children crawl all over him, where the most powerful ride on donkeys, where the all-knowing stands silent when taunted by their inferiors, where a savior can save others, but he chooses not to save himself. It's a place where to be, be safe, we must put ourselves in jeopardy. To save our lives, we lose them. To move up, we step down. To be strong, we confess our weakness. To be sinless, we remain humbly conscious of our sin. It's a place where admitting our foolishness makes us wise, and where standing firm is moving forward, where to be comforted, we must mourn, and to fight, we must get on our knees. It's a place that's totally backwards from where we're at right now. <laughs> it's a place where Jesus has spoken of in Scripture. And to let go is, is, is to gradually prepare for this world, the world that Stephen F. kind of described as well, of, of what heaven is like. And maybe, maybe a good place to start is maybe to spend an hour every week and ask ourselves the question, question that Steve Neff brings up in his book, and I think it's a great question for us. It helps us be able to grapple with this. What is the real value of the things I value? What is the real value of the things I value? You know, maybe later today or this week or whatever, you go back to your home and, and, and open up that garage <laughs> and look at the things there. <laughs> Arlen's going, no, 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 no. <laughs> Look at the things there and ask yourselves, what is the real value of the things I value? Why do I have these things here? And not just, of course, not just the possessions and things, but in life. What, are, what is the real value of the things I value in life? It's a great question for us to be able to prepare us for this world, this kingdom of God. But we need to disentangle ourselves from holding on to letting go. Secondly, he says, disempowerment. Basically what he means here is disempowerment from a dying individual to a living community. Let me explain. Joseph, in the Bible, knew he was dying, so he requested that his family uh, later on would carry his remains to the promised land. We ought to face death as an opportunity to bless our successors, to pass down a spiritual legacy to them and have them carry us where God is taking us. Now, not literally, okay? We're going to stay in the grave, but as far as taking the legacy and carrying it on to where God is leading them. That's where we need to be focused on. Stephen F. says, as we come to the end of our lives, it is essential to pass on to others 
what glory we have gained for ourselves. We must work our way to the back of the line by empowering others who are, are behind us and moving them into places where they can affect the whole community. It's looking behind us and who's coming up behind us and empowering them to carry on the baton. Basically passing the baton on to those behind us. It's the next up mentality. Who's next? And carry, have them carry that baton. We need to equip them. We need to help them. We need to disempower ourselves from being that dying individual and focused on, our, on, on that, all that to the living community. What is going to go on after I'm gone? How is our community going to prosper and continue on in the Lord. And we need to equip those coming up behind us to do that. And one way of doing this is, is to bless our successors. We can write in a letter or we can say it face to face. But blessing usually contains two things. One is something about the recipient that is unique and valuable to the whole community. What is that person? What, what, what is, the, what is the, something unique about that person in the community? And, and the uh, benefit of that. And then command them to invest those contributions in the kingdom of God. So I see this in you. You can be doing these things, and this will benefit God's kingdom this way. Do it. And we can bless them in that way and let them know the baton is in your hand. Continue on. We need to disempower ourselves from a dying individual to a living community. And then third, and lastly, devotion. Steve Dennis explains devotion is basically from heaven to Christ. And it's, it's really interesting, the, the concept here. The emphasis among those who are dying was never on heaven. Did you realize that? In the New Testament, it was on Christ. Those who are dying, the emphasis, those who are dying was never on heaven, but on Christ. Look at Stephen, the first martyr. In Acts chapter 7, verse 55, what did he see right before he was, he was going to die? Saw Jesus at the right hand of God. Paul, Paul knew in Philippians 1, chapter 1, verse 23, he knew that to be, to, to depart would be, and, and be with Christ is better by far. To be with Christ, not to be in heaven, be with Christ. John, John wrote in Revelation, as he looked in the heavens on, on that island of Patmos, and he was consumed with someone like the Son of Man. That was his focus that was what was going on in his mind uh, facing death. Listen to how Steve Deneff describes Jesus. I think it helps us get a better perspective on, on what this means to devote ourselves not to heaven, but to Jesus. He says, Christ is not just one person in heaven. He's not even the most important person in heaven. He is the whole kingdom of God. He is the new man. He is the image, the kind, and type, uh, the type of person we are becoming. He is the place where God and humanity meet. He is the center of the Christian story, the love of the Father, and the preoccupation of the Holy Spirit. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the salvation of our souls. He is the consummate friend, the unfailing advocate, the fellow in our sufferings, the bridegroom at our wedding. Indeed, our lives will not end in God's courtroom with Christ. Uh, indeed, our lives will not end in God's courtroom with Christ as our defense, they will end in God's sanctuary with Christ as the groom, standing at the end of a long aisle that has been our lives, waiting to initiate our vows, 
leading us into the presence of the Father and showing us the culture of heaven. Jesus is our focus. To see him, to be with him. We must develop more desire for Christ in this fault line of dying. Stephen F. says that the degree to which he does not possess us, that Christ does not possess us, to which we desire others more than him, is the degree to which heaven will seem like a strange place. So if we're not focused on being with Christ and, and finally uh, with him forever, heaven's going to be a kind of a strange place if we're not quite in that perspective. Paul expressed this perspective to the Philippians in chapter 1, verses 21 through uh, 23. He says, For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I am to go on living in, in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. And then Paul instructed the believers at Colossae to set their minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. The reason is Jesus is there. Our devotion needs to go from heaven to Christ. Finally, I want to share a story that Steve shares in his book. I think it helps us get, again, a perspective regarding this fault line of death. He says, I was visiting a member who was suffering with cancer at the young age of 48. Every treatment, prayer, and anointing to keep him alive had failed. One Saturday morning at 5.30, they called and said, please come, Gene is dying. When I arrived, the sun was in the distance, but rising quickly, casting its warmth across the foot of his bed. I hugged the family. I cited scripture. We sang songs. We prayed. And as I looked around the room, we seemed as desperate as anyone in the world. Then I heard it. A voice from within me asked, what do you see? I could not get away from it. I looked into the face of our dying friend and muttered under my breath, so no one could hear me, I see our friend slipping away. Look again, said the voice, what do you see? I see loss. I see grief. I see unanswered prayers that have fallen to the ground and died. The more I talked, the more cynical I became. I see a man who trusted you all his life, lying there getting the life beat out of him by something you could cure but won't. That's what I see. Look again, said the voice. Things are not as they seem. What do you see? I stepped forward to pray, and within a few moments, Jean was gone. I stayed about a half hour, comforting the family, then excused myself and went back to the office, where I closed the door and came apart. Aren't you the Messiah, I prayed. My religion was in crisis. My soul was troubled. Later that afternoon, as I prepared for the funeral, I stumbled upon Paul's description of dying, and it stopped me in my tracks. We grow weary in our present bodies, he said, and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh because we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. Look again, said the voice. What did you see? And I wept. That tiny bedroom was a fault line, and my friend and I were on opposite sides. It was making him better. It was making me worse. 
He was letting go of one life for another. I was trying to keep him in this one. He was already praying, Jesus, remember me. And I was praying, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us too. I thought my friend was dying. I thought my friend was dying, but he was coming alive. Like a newborn, he was birthed into a life that is richer, more colorful, and more permanent than anything in this tiny world. Those who live on the fault line of dying are called into this room where they must decide whether to let go or hold on. They must choose which reality to cling to. And that's before us. We need to make a choice of what reality we're going to cling to. We can cling to world's reality where it says this is all there is. This is as good as it's going to get. Welcome to 2020. And we can cling to that and try to cling as tightly as we can to the things that are still all right. And what this world has to offer. Or we can cling to heaven's reality. Which says you ain't seen nothing yet. (laughs) It's going to get a lot better than this. Which reality will you cling to? See, in this fault line of dying, we have a choice to make to become better in it or worse through it. Just like any other fault line. But this fault line is something we will not avoid. We will all face it. How are you going to face that? What are you going to cling to? The best perspective that I've found is from Paul's words, who says, to live is Christ but to die is gain. We have so much to gain. We have so much to live for while we're still here. Live for Christ. It's a perspective thing. And if we can't deal with that fault line of dying, we will affect so many people around us for the worse. What are you going to cling to? What are you going to cling to 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 get you through this fault line of dying what's that going to look like for you I'm going to have Annie and Becky come on up they're going to share in one last song and it's a song I think we can all be praying about about giving our all because you know if there's anything left out there for us if there's anything we leave uh, to ourselves it's just going to be that one thing that's going to trip us up and whatever decision we're going to try to make for Christ. If we give our all to him, we allow Jesus to work in our lives, and we allow Jesus to work out that fault line of dying in our lives, to direct us in the right direction, then we're able to uh, follow him closely and to benefit from what he has for us in that situation. Passing that baton on to the people behind us, that, that spiritual legacy, letting them continue it, we need, to, we need to consider these things. And we need to consider how, what God is going to do for you in this fault line of dying. We're all there. And one day, when we get through it, uh, we're going to be face-to-face with our Savior if we place our, our trust and eternal life in Jesus Christ alone. Be there in heaven with him. But they're going to lead us. Come on up, Annie, Becky. They're going to lead us in this uh, closing song. And again, it should be our prayer as well as we sing it.